Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Uh, compatriot is missing at the moment, but she should be here anytime, Sarah. It's, uh, it's the Madame Askew way. So, um, this is the panel for uh, the character creation. Oh, and here she is. Hello. I was read over and transported <laughs> and accosted by midgets with lemons. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you cannot leave me alone. I need to keep her. <laughs> I apologize, you darling people. Look at their chairs. I know, it's wonderful, right? <laughs> I promise I have a present in my bag for you. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve to give you one, and you have earned it. That made no linguistic sense, but we're going to go with it. So, I was just starting introductions. Oh, and I think that's a perfect way to introduce Madame Espina. Oh, my hubris took a hit today. This is the first time I've ever been late before to a panel, so I apologize, darling people. And to you. Well, I'm not worried about it. You I'm sure everyone you. here is fairly forgiven. I hope right so. On. Well, you are a fire not quite me. So. I am, and they're with the midgets of lemons. <laughs> What can you do? They're impertinent. Please go on. Well, I was just uh, getting started with uh, describing what we were doing with the panel. You're more verbose than myself, so if you'd like to go a little more into detail. <laughs> um, well, I'm Madame Askew. As you can tell by my entrance, I'm a bit askew. And today, the delightful Monsieur Hackett, and I will be Hacker. If we're being French. You're going to be French about it. Well, I mean, maybe. Sometimes I like to butcher French. So, um, Monsieur Hacker and I are going to be discussing, with that sort of a question and answer format, how we create our characters. And, Monsieur, you have made many characters. Yes. I just inhabit one most of the time, usually. So, yes, we're, we're going to go into the overall stages of creating a character from the bottom up and uh, how to implement that at the same time and how to uh, decide ultimately what you want to include with that character in the costume. Um, we're going to start it as a basic Q&A uh, between her and myself and feel free to raise your hand and interject at any time. We're fairly informal as a whole, so... Don't feel bad, you know, raising your hand if you have any kind of question, especially if you're trying to develop a costume or a character for yourself. 
we love talking about this and what we do. And you know, if you're interested in seeing any of the items or you know, finding out how anything's built, feel free to ask. We both will be more than happy to answer. So um, to start with, where do you personally start when it comes to creating a character? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the story of how I became Madame Askew. Um, so we're going to drop for a moment the verisimilitude of me being English, and I'm going to transform to Jocelyn, the person who plays Madame Askew, who is from Oklahoma. <laughs> um, and so, actually, what happened was that some friends gave me the name, and with the name came the character. Because how do you fill out somebody who's named Madame Askew? Like, that's not like me at all. She's a very different person. So I had this idea of somebody who was a little bit English, and then she became a lot English, and a little bit fancy because she's a madame, not a miss or a professor or a mad scientist. Well, she's a mad scientist of tea. Um, and then the whole askew thing came about. So there's always something askew about my costumes, usually my hat, but sometimes it's all of me, like today. <laughs> so that was kind of like the organic genesis. And then because I improv, and I improv all day, and this is like very unusual for me to break character, then I have developed a whole like backstory that I can pull from at any moment. But it's, it's sort of loose, because if you have to remember a lot of details, like a history book, I find that personally, I cannot keep track of when Napoleon had his first brunch date with Josephine. So if I can't remember Napoleon's, how am I going to remember my schedule from like 200 years ago? So I just run with a general outline. And uh, when you start with that outline, for your Madame Skew in particular, yes. what was the first characteristic that you really remember being your signature? Because when I first met you, uh, about four years ago. That's right. Then the first thing was that most of us know you by was your laugh. <laughs> Not that one. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a different one. Yeah. It's more. It's it's more of a high pitched shriek giggle. Um, but... We call it the titter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, that's natural. Like I've had that laugh since I was wee, and when I was. When I was wee, and I would laugh like that, people would be horrified, and I actually got teased terribly. And I remember being at one event um, as a 20-something when I was working, also performing, and something struck me really funny, and I started laughing. And another booth actually came over and beat on me with buffer swords to make me stop, which was terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> it's hysterical, but terrible. It is, right? I mean, they're trying to make me stop, but they're beating me with buffers. <laughs> it didn't work. I just kept laughing. So, um, the thing is, the laugh comes naturally, and a lot of what Madame Askew is comes from me, Jocelyn, and it's sort of like characteristics I'm comfortable with, like I'm an extrovert, so it's alright for me to play an extrovert. It's a little bit hard for me to play an introvert because I literally want to talk to everyone, but I can. But if I were an introvert, I might find it more challenging to be this exuberantly like, 
Hello, how are you? It's really nice to meet you. I've actually been noticing you this whole time and I really like your glasses. Thank you. Right, so that might be a bit much. Um, but I, so I pull from some characteristics of myself that I like and then I have exaggerated them. But the laugh is like, it's organic. <laughs> so there's that, there was that, but there was also tea. So just perchance, I discovered tea dueling. And then it was like, Katie shut the door. No, wait, that's not the idiom. Katie bar the door? How do you say it in English? Sometimes that's confusing. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, dear. Thank you! You are lovely and delightful. So, the yes. tea with your character is yes. your most synonymous factor. It's, it's critical, in fact. Yes. And I've partaken in several of your tea rules. Right. Now, but what They're about... Riotous. Oh, thank you. But what about you, Justin? Because you do um, a number of characters. Yes. And his builds are beautiful and elaborate. I mean, I remember the first time I met you. First of all, you were really nice, which I appreciate. Really friendly. Um, and you're like, from the northeastern part. Philadelphia, yeah. Right. I'm like, oh, he's not from here. <laughs> Neither am I. But, um, <laughs> so we bonded a little bit. But you were just starting mm -hmm. to make costumes. And I thought it was amazing. Yeah. had all these ideas. Most of my start uh, in costuming was originally through uh, comic books and you know, superheroes and all of that. And uh, living in Philadelphia and on the East Coast, there really isn't, or at that time, there was not a costuming culture. It was still very much a nerd thing where, you know, side fringe people went. Like, my, one of my first costumes was Cloud, like from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. And, uh, you know, it was one of those types of things. And, uh, and then, of course, like the Joker, because who eventually doesn't do that? But... Uh, I am an introvert for the most part, and for me, if you haven't noticed, majority of this is masks, and that helps me in costume personally to feel uh, a comfortable level of detachment from my surroundings at the same time, because I, I have those kind of issues, and most of the characters that I portray in that sense, uh, they, they also exude those characteristics, where they're more standoffish, cold. Uh, for instance, the, the dragon skull is actually a new creation for the samurai that I have put together for that's been evolving over the last uh, three and a half years, and like the that armor itself is a, a good three years old now, which is uh, surprising for foam to actually last that long most of the time because usually people will have destroyed it. Uh, foam, especially in Arizona, is terrible for your cars. Yes. I just had a quick question. You know, because you've got masks and you're talking about how that helps you as an introvert. Um, are they also more inhuman, or is it just the masks? Uh, for the most part, they are all masked, except for the lava monster. That was made for uh, Halloween, so I could scare kids in the neighborhood when they came to the door. It has a whole big like arm and everything, and it was just like, I wanted that to be what they saw when I opened the door. It was just like this arm and lava monster. So uh, I actually want to build the rest of that one and have a full like lava monster suit. Uh, but that one's actually a couple of years old uh, too, and it's a little bit falling apart. But again, that goes into the that goes in the costume itself, the actual construction and the materials used. That was still early on in my costuming, so I didn't know the right types of glues. So some of them have detached over time, and now knowing what I know and what types of things to use, 
Uh, it doesn't happen as often. But with the Arizona sun, in some ways, part of my French is screwed because if you stand out there, it doesn't matter what kind of glue you use, it's going to deform, it's going to separate, it's going to crack, and because that's what foam does, uh, sadly. But thankfully, you can move around the entire convention center without going outside now. <laughs> so, left West Building and Main Building. Um, but but they, they definitely, uh, in a sense, are in, inhuman because they are related to some other type of uh, otherworldly aspect. Like the dragon skull in itself is, you know, of course, just associated with that type of folklore and mythology. Um, the rhino helmet is actually part of a suit of armor. Um, that's, uh, it was meant to be the, the Spider-Man's rhino just done as a full medieval armor. That has a big back piece and everything, but again, it was one of those early on in costuming, and the suit was not constructed well enough, and the pieces that I had used ultimately ripped after you know a good three wearings. So it's one of those again, like uh, for the costume building aspect, yeah, you you learn and live. Like <laughs> when it comes to it, you just wear it to the con, see what happens. Only thing I'll ever advise against is hot glue. Oh. Don't ever use hot glue because this sun, you're, it's worthless. Um, you but, might as well use spit, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll last longer. Yeah, Elvis. Oh, might Elvis, be better off with. Elvis like, lasts longer than hot glue here because the hot glue just melts again and it laughs at you mockingly. <laughs> I sew. I mean, everything on mine is like stitched, which is very handy because thread does not melt, no. but it does catch on fire, yeah. <laughs> which, which could be problematic this weekend. Yes. Spontaneous combustion. I mean, I feel a little bit like that could happen. <laughs> Just give it a second and she'll... It's like a battery, she'll wear herself out. character uh, like that uh, for this instance the, the dragon skull goes with the samurai the character's name is Kame Sen and basically the the idea is that he is a disgraced <laughs> warrior and in order to bring him back from that disgrace uh, he has set out to destroy all of the dragons so it's not in her sense she portrays the characters more mine is more just the creation of the story to help fill in what I'm wearing uh, like and that's okay. The big as the big aspect of steampunk is the flexibility. Is you don't have to necessarily be in character at the same time. If you're an introvert like myself, like you just more portray a physical embodiment of a, a character, and you get directly into the character because you utilize that for your improv, the tea, and things like that. But but the story is important oh, yes. for deciding what I wear. So that even if I'm going on a safari, it has to be a fabulous safari. Yes. Probably with an entire service for twelve for tea, somehow transported, possibly by midgets with lemons. I'm not losing that one. Pull it's, it's all right. <laughs> um so but everything I wear has to make sense with who I am. So, you know, like uh, Oh, I can do this. So I've got my 
teacup utility belt, because you never know. And let me tell you, if you are ordering a cup of tea here, they're bringing you wretched Lipton in a little cup of hot water, and they're cheeky enough to call it tea. So it's really better to have your own utility belt with cup. And then I can also, because I use my hands a lot, and I have my friend, um, I have my, like, pouch of doom, which has things in it, which we don't need to know. Yes, they are. You think that's going to lessen your chance of hitting it? Like, no. Getting closer to your head? All right, yes. <laughs> Maybe we should just, like, and I'll do this. Um, and then I'll knock over the chair. <laughs> but everything makes sense. Like, it's fancy and bold. Red. So, I only wear bright colours, so, now. Well, compliment. Thank you. I mean, my first costume was brown, because I was new to steampunk. And also, in my, you know, out of this... <laughs> Alright, in my out of this life, I like brown. And I, I told myself, because my background is linguistic anthropology, I was like, oh, I'll be like a linguist in the steampunk world. And I'll go interesting places. And I'll have bits of my interesting travels, like this Moroccan vest and these Turkish trousers and this Bulgarian vest. And I was all like, I'm from Eastern Europe. And it was great. And everybody was like, look, it's brown. <laughs> <laughs> no one was like, are those arabesque hands couched onto your corset? Did you take 12 hours to embroider gold bullion to your costume? No one asked me that. They were just like, oh, it's brown. <laughs> so now we're red. That is a very big uh, trope when it comes to steampunk. It's the goths who discovered brown. <laughs> and, and, and I don't, I really believe against that. Like, my, I love delving into all aspects of the type of world that you exist in in steampunk. So, I mean, there's the, the retro-futuristic and the alternative post-apocalyptic future, or one in the same, depending on how you look at it. So the, the idea is that there are other parts of the world outside of the Old West, the East Coast, 1800s, and Victorian England, and I encourage anybody to explore all of those areas, but that does bring in a level of cultural sensitivity at the same time is you never want to uh, stereotype a costume right. by using what you perceive as being cultural and uh, appropriate for the time period as opposed to doing the research to determine that at the same time. Uh, especially when it comes to accents, don't just, if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're if, me and you intend to be terrible. Well, well I mean like a, a cultural stereotype accent. Oh, no. no, yeah, no. Oh, no. Just, yeah. You get the no. inkling of, you know, turning around and turning a lure of sound. Don't. No. Don't do I'll find you. <laughs> um, but, no, that's an important point because I, I like to point out to people two things. One, it turns out the 19th century happened all over the planet and the universe at the same time. It was like, it wasn't like there was a bubble of 19th century in London and it stopped there and it didn't make it anywhere else. So we really can pull from all sorts of places. And you do it beautifully, Justin. Like, I love, I've watched this evolve and it's wonderful. Um, 
But also, like, don't, I try not to be lazy, and I encourage other people not to be lazy. And just relying on the stereotypes is not going to give you a great story in your yeah. costume. You're not going to stand up from the crowd. You'll probably hurt someone's feelings. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, not like intentionally, because everyone I meet in this community, and I mean not steampunk, but like the big geek community, we're actually really nice people. Yes. And you know, we might have a cranky day, I have cranky days, but I still don't want to actually hurt someone's feelings. So like, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, like <coughs> that, my grandmother used to wear that. Where did you find it? And you have a story and an answer and information, they're going to be touched. If you're like, I went to Toys R Us and I glued gears on it, they're going to be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Plus hot glue and gears. We covered that. Very bad idea. One thing I really like to stress with the creating a character and a costume is uh, to find your own voice in it and your own originality. Uh, it's really easy to default to certain things because they're very prevalent and easy to find and easy to access. Um, and not to say that they can't be utilized properly, like this individual over here. Since he walked in, I noticed and caught the eye, like his whole you know, suit. So it's, you know, there, there's different ways to embrace your own personal design in it. I, I really do like encourage people to seek out all variations. Everybody wants to be an airship captain, you know, but what about the miners? Like, the type of, you know, instrumental pieces that you can create and apparatuses with the idea of what they would be doing. You know, a jackhammer on the back of your arm or, right. you know, like some over-exaggerated pickaxe or uh, Tiffany, the, the mechanic with her giant wrench. Oh, it's <laughs> like, delightful. Yeah. But, you know, if you are going to be an airship captain, for instance, or anything, yes. I think one of the most critical things you can do is to ask what more why how so like i would start with what kind of airship are you a pirate a smuggler a privateer or you know a legal business person or do you work for the crown and crush all before you like that starts to shape your costume and your character. And then what kind of airship? Is it small? Is it large? Is it fabulous? I mean, it's like, just keep asking questions until arriving at that thing. Yes. And, and then, even if you're wearing brown, which, by the by, I do love brown, but I was very sad when I put a hundred hours into a brown corset that no one ever noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I charged $1,000 for it at minimum wage. So, it, it, um, if you're wearing, like, an airship captain costume, but you know your whole story, all of the details are suddenly going to sort of explode visually for people, and they're going to be like, oh, why do you have that beaten up sexton with blood on it? And you can talk about how you used it to fend off the midgets with the lemons on, you know, their tiny ship that was coming for you. And you were like, lemon thieves! I will stab you with my sexton! And then people are like, I don't know who you are, but you're delightful. <laughs> So, 
on the note of the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to follow on that one. Um, <laughs> so, when developing the costume itself, yes. and you do have your character, and right. you've figured out your backstory, right? what point do you consider too much? Like, what point do you consider physically too much on your costume? Because if they're... Steampunk is another one of those ones where literally you can just layer on and layer on and layer on more and more pieces <laughs> and like accoutrements and belts and you can attach, you know, 50 pounds of like belts and pouches, clothing, guns, and swords. But right, no, can true. you walk around a con for six hours like wearing all of that? Like, do you have the, the endurance to be able to make it through? And if you do, good. I'm glad. I hope you can bend down and pick stuff up without it all tumbling out. Like, I really do, because that's props. If you have managed to make a costume where crap's not falling out all over the place. So, that's, yeah. So, it's, it's one of those uh, aspects that I really, like, focus on and look at when developing a character as well, in, in developing the costume of the characters. What things would this person be carrying? Legitimately, at a given moment in time, outside of, of course, your contact. Yeah. But it's like, what would this person genuinely have all the time? If you feel that your person would have 70 pouches on them at one time, like all over your legs and arms and everything, then great. Maybe he's a merchant that sells stuff on the street, like off the black market. Or maybe he's a lemon smuggler. Okay. Yeah, he's a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> I would like some lemon juice in my mythical tea. Um, I, so my benchmarks are. Can I walk? Because I have to. So, like, I wear very sensible shoes. I tried yeah. fabulous shoes. Wear crappy sneakers at the moment. Oh, right, no. Like, I've, I'm missing half a knee. That's not even an option for me anymore. I literally fell off a cliff. That's not improv, that's true. So, um, and then I'm like, I'm in the desert. It should breathe. So, for me, because I'm very active, and I make my own things from the skin out because I'm outdoors and walking and serving hot tea, FYI, not cold tea, hot in July in Tombstone. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Um, <laughs> and that was delightful because we, I always tell people, make everything out of natural fibers. It's kind of a good rule of thumb. I wore a costume lined in canvas in July in Tombstone with tea. I really did think I was going to die. So, like, I mean, people had to, like, sort of shove me into the shade and throw water on me, and it beaded up because I was wearing canvas. It's like, no, this is sailcloth. We don't breathe. So... Like, I try and think about not only the fibres, but the kind of fibres. And then remember, what will I be doing in this fabulous costume? Will I die wearing it? <laughs> Do I have a place to carry water? What is that? Carry water? <laughs> I have a cup. I have a sling bag of water and snacks. I have, like, things in my blue bag of doom over there. But, yeah, you have to, like... Oh, no, wait, carry things. All right, this is not scandalous. I'm going to... Oh, hold on. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 All right, so now you can see me. Couldn't behind the table. I have a hidden vessel pocket. Yay! <laughs> so I can literally, like, smuggle...
smuggle fruit in to like lemons. Lemons. <laughs> <laughs> but usually apples or you know jerky or something or like or you know I'm like my cell phone won't fit in my corset because it's huge. I don't know why I did that, but it will fit in my bustle pocket, and you can't tell because it folds under my bustle. So, like, if you make your own costume, you can put pockets everywhere. <laughs> it's very handy. And on the other side of that, as a guy who does not wear kilts or dresses, um, the, the costumes are often very difficult with carrying things. I mean, as a guy, if you do have pouches and everything, most of the time they don't fit your phone because they have, you know, reversed back to the 80s and gone back to being large bricks. And you can't just carry them necessarily everywhere. And almost everybody has these pouches, and most of people's phones won't fit into these pouches, and at least, you know, without modification. So you always have to have a, a separate one that Fair carries much. everything else. Yeah, more or less. Uh, for not to call it that, but... Yeah, that brings back bad 80s memory. Yeah, right. Look, it's huge. <laughs> it does not fit here, which is the lady's secret stash. Well, I guess it does. The benefit to you. <laughs> 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 I lied. Of modifying your own costumes as a guy is that these pants were actually uh, the, what are they called? The yeah, nursing scrubs. Nursing scrubs. And I actually, I cut them apart and modified them and expanded them to turn into the... Uh, but then uh, and then because they have pockets so again as a guy I could just flip back that and I have my phone and everything else shoved in the pockets but yes it's all just cut apart and re-sewn with other pieces of fabric so it works out really great and it does feel like wearing a dress because you get a great breeze all the time uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes you have raised your hand so politely because one of my um, improv partners quipped last night that none of them come up with characters. I assign them names, and then they end up with characters. And I thought about it a minute, because I didn't realize I was being so dictatorial. So I'm, I'm like, kind of too flaky to be a dictator. But I realized that that was true, that I would just like spontaneously give my performing partners names on stage when they had no say about it. And they'd have to roll with it. I just announced them randomly. I'd be like, and this is Captain Sexy Pants. And then he walks out and he's like, I guess I'm Captain Sexy Pants now. That actually happened in front of hundreds of people, poor man. So the name, though, I mean, if... If you feel you can inhabit it, and especially if you've picked it yourself, I think it's a focal point. And it's like, you could do literally anything and be from anywhere. You could be a steampunk Klingon who time travels between dimensions. In steampunk, that's totally cricket. And people be like, right on. Like the gear on your, like, Klingon warship. Nice. 
on that bat lift with Tesla power, very handy. <laughs> and so having a name though like helps you refine, like, am I a Klingon time traveling Tesla powered bat lift wielder named Jean Pierre? <laughs> Like, that says something about your Klingon. <laughs> I would definitely go out on a date with that Klingon. <laughs> Doesn't he sound charming, Jean-Pierre, the Tesla-powered, weirdly, battling Klingon? Anyway, so I, I use the name as a focal point, and that helps me color in, like, some fantastical detail that brings it to life, you know? And... Um, I usually start with the name, yeah. and maybe a, a, like a vague concept, like, I'm an adventurer, and my name is X. And then uh, between those two things, I fill in an outline. How do you go about developing a name? Because I'm hung up on that. Oh. I work the opposite way, is that I develop the, the actual character and the base of the character, and then try to figure out a name, a name. afterward. And the, the issue that I've always come up with with that is the, because it brings up certain questions, like where is that person derived from? Like what is their cultural background? What is the, the influence of you know, what it is that they're doing? Is it a nickname? Like is it something that they're hiding behind? Because it was, uh, the, the, what the hell is his name? I did a, a random character that was like a pompous, like aristocratic prick, and he was, oh, uh, Phineas Mapplethorn the third. It's better to meet you. Hmm. <laughs> and yes, and he was just a pompous prick. And it was this idea of this guy who was, you know, just so above everyone that he was like, mm hmm, to everything. Like you said, yes, oh, quite indeed. Indubitably. And it's. And sometimes it, it does come like that, where it's this idea of this thing, and you put a name together because of the names that existed at that time from different backgrounds. So, But then the third, and then I had a whole bunch. It was like Esquire, MD, like Right, you just PhD. have to keep adding them. Yeah, and you just keep going with a character like that. But um, so when, it, when coming up with a character basis first, uh, and then building from that point, it's I find that looking at where they're from, what type of background, what led them to that point, because then you can at least come up with a nickname for the character first. Like one of the old uh, Western ones I had was Dead Eye Thompson, and it was because I had an eye patch. I was like Dead Eye, boom, like problem solved. And it was like Thompson because that was another common name at the time. So I was like, all right, easy enough. And then like eventually filled out the rest of the name built on that. And, and I gave him the first name of Jedediah just to be a dick. I uh, like Jedediah. Jedediah, Jedediah Thompson. Dick, wait, never mind. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was about to go into my 18 plus improv. I'm very sorry. But, um, <laughs> it, I, yeah, I would say just uh, it, if you have this the type of uh, problem like that with developing a name behind a character, look at what she had said before, which was the, the aspects of the character. You know, what makes them this character? What part are they built upon? And, like, what is their job? Like, in all aspects of that. And that can help to, to pull that together. I definitely recommend looking up names for the time period, especially through different cultures. Because if you do have a different type of background, then you can find, you know, the existing types of names for that time period. You can uh, look for census data, which is a f actually something I love to do. And now a lot of census data is on the internet, which is very handy. Um, I also pull somewhat from literature. 
Um, and then because I, I am actually, uh, I did study linguistic anthropology, then um, sometimes I just pull from raw knowledge of the culture because I studied the language and I had friends. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be Dilek from um, Ankara. That will be very charming, you know. And so, but I just know that because I know somebody named Dilek and I know about Ankara. And everybody's from Istanbul, so why not go post Ataturk and be from the new capital? So, um, like, I just do some research like that, either out of my imagination. And, like, Madame Askew, I did not come up with that name. I was given to me, and it's been, like, the best gift friends ever gave me. <laughs> the friend who gave it to me is sitting in the front row. But, like, I just showed up to an event because I run the events in Tucson for the Tucson Steampunk Society. And I was running around like this. Why do we have to do this? And I'm running late, and here's this thing, and oh, you should, well, who are you? And why are we here? And they're like, sit down. She, and like, my hair was everywhere. My hat was like, falling off. And my costume was like, inside out. You like, were all askew. I so was askew. My sister and I said, that's what we're going to call you, Madame Askew. Right, and at first I was like, what do I do with this? And then, now you see what I do with it. But, um, but you could go, like, both ways a little bit at the same time. Like, have your concept, do a little research, and the name comes to you and it fleshes things out. Start with a name, which is what I do to my poor performers with me. Like, they come in, they think they're going to heat tea water and serve cups of tea. And then they get on the stage and I'm like, hello, you have a new name. <laughs> and they're like, why did I sign up for this? Are there enough biscuits in the world? I don't know. Enough tea in China? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, it depends on which, you know, version of the opium war we're on. <laughs> <laughs> Also, a name generator somewhere, and yeah. that you can find it and have fun with, like just generating and say, Oh no, this won't work, and then find one. Oh, so I'm gonna do it. And you can, like, the name generators, I like to sometimes keep one part and throw out the, like, yeah. terrible part. Like, what? No. Or if you find one of those god awful. Facebook memes where it gives you the thing. Just read through all the names. Be like, hmm, I like that one. Yeah, like, all right. Um, the there's another aspect uh, to costuming as well when it comes in is the steampunk community is very uh, accepting, basically, of anybody and everybody that wants to get involved. Uh, you meet out almost anybody. They're willing to talk about what it is that they built and how they built it, and you know the ways to uh, build it because they love that type of culture. Um, and at the same time, we also embrace the like, general idea of the cross-dressing as well. We have so many men that love their uh, Victorian attire, and they love the corsets, and love wearing the, you know, the full bustles and gowns. And I'm envious because I couldn't do a corset. Tried once. I was a no. Was it custom made for you? No, no, it wasn't. Of course not. Just <laughs> not going to pay the money Monsieur for that. Monsieur Hacker, I'm know. sure we could work a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I no, take I'm trade. Not court. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I always need I like my poor posture. I love your costume. 
but no, you know posture. what? You, no, you don't have poor posture. Uh, I'm right now. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not, look, you're not doing this. Oh. That's hard to do in a corset, actually. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I like my poor posture. You do, you're fine, but you could look so sassy with one of those, like, you know, Japanese band. Ooh, Margie is Japanese. We could, like, so hook you up. You want one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it matches my costume. Oh, we can make it happen. But, um, yeah, basically anything that you want to that you want to dress as or make, we definitely encourage it. And you find anybody to ask, by all means, ask away. Um, we have pamphlets outside that list all of our programming for the weekend, as well as all of the information for the uh, Arizona Steampunk groups. So depending on where you are, there might be a group that's already near you established that you can work with or that can help you out with building a costume or with leather working if you don't know how to do that on your own or anything like that. There's guys all over the place that you can find to assist you with the building of a costume. Well, a lot of us are on the interwebs and we, um, we meet in between our events there and we share our, our projects and we share new character ideas which is very pertinent to this panel. And then people are like, oh, great idea. Did you think about X? And you're like, no, I had no idea. They had gunships in Tahiti at that time in history. <laughs> Who knew? Mind blown. <laughs> Morty. And then like, <laughs> you've got this whole aspect to your character that you, you might not have known about that area of research. So asking people, uh, and I, when I'm doing any sort of character work, for a character that is not a culture I'm really familiar with, I like to ask people from that culture. And then I like to be like, so this thing I'm thinking of doing, is it crazy pants or is it like charming? And you know, then they tell me. You can imagine what the answer is pretty frequently. <laughs> well, that does actually bring up a separate question that I had for you was regarding the personality matching profession. Oh, right. Is it, because you're an airship captain, does that mean that you need to be loud and bombastic and overly do, exaggerated? Do you remember Robert De Niro from, from you know, Stardust? Stardust. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who's read the book? Anyone read the book? The book is very charming. Um, you read the book. Is that a hand up? Right, so the book is very charming. The character is wildly different in the book. And Robert De Niro, like, took that character in such a marvelous direction in the film. And, you know, like, it's probably one of my favorite roles he's ever done. And even though I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm geeky, I like to read a lot, I love that adaptation, largely because of what he did. And here he is, he's an airship captain, and he's, like, definitely not bombastic. You know, he's like, he really puts it on his ear. Now, I'm not saying you need to put on a corset and wear a pink tutu and run with it on your good ship lollipop of the skyways. But, but if you, you want to, you can go ahead. You can that. totally do it, and I'll make you a corset, because that's what I do. <laughs> not, I'm not trying to really put everyone in corsets, but I kind of am. <laughs> So, uh, with those characters, uh, when taking into account their personality with the costume, that can hugely influence it as well. 
because just because you are an airship captain doesn't necessarily mean that you need to look as lovely as yourself in bright red. Right. You can still use your browns and blacks and grays and everything in between. Um, I personally, I love pattern shirts, like the crazy pattern shirts, because at that time period, having a pattern shirt like that meant that you had money because you otherwise got a plain white or a plain gray or a plain colored dyed shirt to actually have a pattern shirt meant that you had some form of money. But because all of my characters are scoundrels, it means that I stole it from somebody. And that's the idea behind it is that, you know, it's obvious I should not be wearing that at all. So, uh, the, and then it's the only nice thing on the outfit is like, I have a dingy vest and dingy pants, but the shirt's pristine and clean and pressed and nice. Like, and it's that one type of item. It's the, uh, I'll be wearing it on Sunday, this purple shirt and it's, it's a hell of a purple. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it just, it's really sticks out compared to the rest of the costume. And that the idea into that is because of that particular character, uh, very much is that way. Um. The character for Sunday is actually a bank robber version of the Joker, and it's a full like bag mask and everything like that. But of course, the the purple is the thing that you know you want to stick out and draw the attention. But I think I've seen that costume before. Haven't it's I? past yes. Wild West Con. It's delightful. So, but I think that is important because you've got a name, you've got some details, you're starting to flesh it out a bit. But how is this character in interactions? And even if you don't improv, right? And you're, you're like, whatever. I'm like here to punch leather and look fabulous. I don't need to talk, which is totally cool. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, oh look, he looks so fabulous in leather and he punched it himself. Oh my God. Oh, you wanted to talk? I mean, I was talking. So it's like, <laughs> it's okay, right? You can, you can inhabit the character without performing the character by, you know, telling the story with your costume, just as Justin is talking about with the details. And so um, I think figuring out the personality aspects is important. And having, like, you know, not just one quality of personality. You don't want to just be like, he's surly. She's a coquette. Like, all right. But what kind of surly, train-robbing, lemon-wielder is this person? <laughs> right? Cheeky? Cheeky surly? Is it Mal Reynolds surly? See, I love the strong silent. Don't like, just stand there and look pretty in, in the costume, get a picture taken, keep moving on. Yeah, well... If you, only, you only answer a question about a name if you must. Right. You, know, you can always, like, squint at people. Yeah, you just... Because the best thing is, to, especially through the there, nobody ever sees your expression. So you can be making the goofiest faces at somebody, but you just keep the eyes focused like that, and then no one ever knows. It's your own personal heaven. I have this friend who is a professional actor, and um, he mostly does, like, amusements, um, like, as a stunt man and swashbuckling hero in, like, stage productions at theme parks. And, um, but he does some film work too. And he's really, like, he's very garrulous in person. But when he acts, he always says, I say less. Because then I have to, like, let my, you know, body language speak for me. And then there's some mystery, so people fill in. Apparently, Madame Askew has no mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but, my, I mean, that is a reason. Well, that's the objective behind your character. Right, I know. I mean, 
actually obfuscation. Like maybe there is a big mystery, but there's also a big bustle. <laughs> so the next thing uh, is the accessories or weapons, for that matter. Oh right. Um, I, in my development through steampunk, I personally have never actually had a literal steampunk weapon. I have a replica 1867 uh, Army Colt, uh, and that's it. Like that's my gun because I don't necessarily feel that you have to have a giant elaborate weapon uh, to be in the steampunk world. If you want an elaborate weapon, by all means, make it. But at the same time, you don't have to feel like an obligation for everything to be over-exaggerated and you know, super elaborate. Because of the samurai, I got a big sword. Why not? Like it's an, you know, you go with the anime style <laughs> and go with an overly large sword. Kind but, of fits with your samurai. Yes, yes he does. Put in here. Separate area, but yes. It's gonna just be like, yo, chilling. <laughs> like a villain. Um, that poor guy lost his arm. I know, in the team wars. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the idea of your weapons also uh, complementing your character themselves. Like, what would your personality of character actually have? As a weapon, like if you are a more meek individual, would you have, you know, your BFG, and, and you have your your nice huge gun because that's your way of, you know, compensating that as the character because you're not so extroverted <laughs> that your big gun does your speaking for you, like, or are you, you know, two little derringers or fifty little derringers, you know, scattered about? So definitely take those things into consideration, depending again on what your character is, because you may not have a weapon. At all. Right, I mean, I usually, my weapon is my teacup, plus the most dangerous weapon at this convention, Godzilla. I mean, have you seen what he did to Tokyo? So, I don't know why they haven't peace bonded him yet here. But yeah, like, I don't usually carry a weapon either. The only weapons I have were made for me by a friend, and I use them when I'm playing, like, the scoundrel version of Madame Askew, which is her dark side, when she's actually gone out into the fields and um, acquired her own tea on her airship. Yeah. Totally legal, really. <laughs> no explosions, usually. <laughs> so that's when I carry the guns, and like the whole costume is more like a little bit more rough, and the corset is like more military. And I wear like a more, you know, masculine kind of hat. And I used to put like some smudges on my face to make it look like I had some coal on my face, but there was a terrible incident where people took me aside and asked me who my boyfriend was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you for your concern. I will never do this makeup again. <laughs> um, see, it comes right off and they were like, it's so convincing. I'm like, coal dust, it's not that convincing. <laughs> I looked like I was rubbing my face. What, I, what movies are you watching? Anyway, so, um, but see, that's the thing where I've got this character and I can fit different roles, but I just keep sort of my personality traits, but I think about how would she be in this situation, right? Like, if Madame Askew was smuggling tea out of Beijing over the Himalayas, don't ask me how the geography works, it does in my head, and I mean, I'm on an airship, everything goes, would she literally drop green tea teapot bombs? Yes, she would! 
That's why I have a teapot bomb that I occasionally carry in parades, but not in places like this. No. Because I need my hands, and also something that looks like it's got wires running into it with a clock is not very cricket in a large crowd. <laughs> which is something to consider. Absolutely. Do not freak out people. I think no, it's like when, when it comes to weapons as well, uh, a certain level of realism is expected, but definitely avoid anything, I mean, on the safety side. And then also size-wise, we had a guy at Wild Wild Westcon like three years ago with an eight-foot-long sniper rifle. <laughs> and he went, and it was straight-up, like, slapstick comedy scene, because he goes to walk in the door, and the gun hits both sides, and he springs back and falls <laughs> flat on his back on the ground. And it was like, well, that's what happens when you have an eight-foot-long gun. Uh, so definitely keep certain levels of practicality like in mind with your weapons because you know your gun may look cool but again you're gonna have to carry that around if it weighs 35 pounds after a while you're gonna just be walking like this trying to drag it everywhere but and it's with <laughs> an eight foot gun which is like fabulous and it was awesome Don't makes a great statement and maybe like the perfect um, you know accessory for your character remember even if it's 10 pounds that's distributed over eight feet which, unless you balance it really well, is going to be tedious to carry. So, for instance, I have all of these accessories in my brain that would be impossible for me to actually bring with me to a convention um, or to most events. I cannot bring my entire airship crew and the Wedgwood for 12 with my butler, Mick McTavisham, to, you know, serve tea. I can't do it. It's not possible. First of all, the butler doesn't exist, <laughs> except in my head. He's fabulous. And it's really hard to transport Wedgwood in and out of a convention floor. They want to go through every piece. And I don't want to do that to the poor people at the front gate. Plus, can you imagine the cart I would need to pull a service for 12? <laughs> I mean, I've served tea to actually hate people and attorney, and it takes me a huge cart just to do that, so. <laughs> uh, so, I guess we have about ten minutes left. Oh, good. Uh, is there any questions that anybody has about a character that they're developing, a costume that they're putting together, or general construction questions? Especially when you're just starting out. Because once you've made your first costume, then everything starts flooding. It's like, I'm making all the things. And it's it gets to a point where it's like, okay, i got to reprioritize. Um, I reprioritized <laughs> and got rid of my mundane clothes. Yes. <laughs> More yeah. costume space. Most of my closet is costumes now. But yeah. um, So I, I understand. Uh, and we did actually cover that at the very, very beginning. But when it comes to... Uh, creating the costume, I guess part of it is deciding ultimately where you want to start. It's like, what is the, the base, the core of your character? Are they an orphan that grew up on the streets, you know, in New York City in, you know, 1864? Or are they 
growing up in the desert in 1864 because that's going to influence you know the type of character uh, and then I guess from from that you can start to develop a I guess their career like what they've gone into what's their overall profession you know how badass are they or how you know uh, I guess ladylike <laughs> that you can be. Um, um, or, or masculine for that matter uh, like however which direction you want to take it uh, I would recommend kind of building from that like start from what is the the core of this character you know what is the, the feeling, I guess, behind this individual that draws you to it. I, and I would say, like, think about what you actually like regularly and what you're comfortable with regularly. Like, I would not have been comfortable making a minor who had a fascination with ferrous minerals. A, I have claustrophobia. B, I hate being dirty. Like, really have an issue like ah, there's dust on my hand I'm going to melt ah. so um, those are just hang ups I have personally so it'd be terrible I'd have to be like the OCD minor now I do have OCD so that'd be easy for me I'd be like my pickaxe is very shiny no I do not go into your mine I'm the pickaxe inspector <laughs> could roll with it but you could also just join my improv troupe, and apparently I assign people characters just like left and right, like some sort of crazy name-dropping junkie. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't quite go there. I'm, I can stop drinking tea anytime I want. <laughs> um, did that help... Uh... <laughs> Even a smidge. <laughs> well, is there anything further than that you're, you know, that you're looking for in regards to it? Like, are you having a, and I did like just a general creator's block, you know, where it's like I can't figure out one section to work on? Because if that's the case, go with all of them. <laughs> like, think about all of them at once. Like, they're an archaeologist doctor from, you know, Istanbul that has traveled everywhere in the world and space, and has a spacesuit, a diving bell. And a princess costume, like like literally do do it like just I mean your character can be anything. So if you want them to be all those things, then screw it. You're a child genius. You developed every cure for everything, and now you're just traveling the world on your money. Like you like off the top of your head, just make something up and go with it. That's how I do half the things, to be entirely honest. Just make up a character and be like, okay, like this time samurai. Like now, what is this samurai gonna do? Where is he coming from? Like what am I you know gonna make him? become like how mean of a person is he if he's stuck traveling alone like how nice of a person is he because he befriended all the animals that he comes across minus the ones that he kills um you know like you i don't know you can you can make them nonsensical for that matter because it's steampunk and you can make it whatever you want (laughs) like i just i don't know i have such a a light-hearted sense to steampunk because from the beginning they've been so embracing to my sort of oddity to the steampunk world because i've been very opposed to just being a cowboy or just being an airship, you know, captain, because I don't fit into that personally. Like, for myself, I don't see that. So I, uh, I recommend anybody just, like, embrace all the quirkiness that you have and, like, utilize that into your costumes, like you said, to bring out the parts of yourself and the things that you already like and, like, assemble them. Plus thrift stores. Plus thrift stores. Thrift stores are your best friend. Boom. You can find anything. Half of my costumes are built from Stuff that I stumble across, like pouches being like, ooh, belts, like shirts, 
everything. It's a thrift store. You have thrift store magic. I'm cursed (laughs) with thrift stores, which is why I sew. It's true. That's true facts. So, uh, any other questions before we have to scamper? The lemon thieves are coming, so... I know. Watch for them. Any other questions? Yeah, like, uh, again, anything in regards to even costume development, like pieces that you're trying to build or uh, questions about where to locate items if you're looking for things in particular? I know this is on a tangent, but to get back to the name question from a really long time ago. Epiphany. Um, so, Patrick, so there is this book that I love. It was written by Sherilyn Kenyon. I know, the woman who writes like the bodice rippers. But she used to write uh, this character naming source book. And it's like, it's not complete. It's not every name in the universe. It doesn't even have Klingons. (laughs) But it has a lot of cultures. Her scholarship's a bit dodgy. Don't believe everything she says. But if you can find a copy, it's divided by section by ethnic group by region by country and so if you're like I want to be an Irish teapot juggling circus owning madman boom go to the character naming source book flip through his Gaelic names his Irish names is he a Gaelic person is he a Gaelic speaker is he from Northern Ireland or from Scotland, a transplanted time traveler speaking Gaelic and Gaelic. I mean, you have, like, all the options there, right? So it's a very handy source, and I'm sorry I forgot it earlier. Sherilyn Kenyon, character naming source book, super easy, on Amazon. Um, and then, uh, basically, outside of that, uh, we've covered everything for, that we had on hand for our uh, costuming workshop. Um, and that actually works out great with two minutes left. If anybody's interested in seeing the masks, uh, by all means, come on up. Uh, they are made of EVA foam, uh, so they're not terribly delicate, but at the same time, you know, it's one of those just general, gentle handling. Um, but I'm going to be also handling a panel later with John and Sabrina Floyd of Tucson, and if you are not familiar with them, they are uh, the duo of Grit and Grimes, which is a giant rock monster, and uh, the gentleman Robar. Uh, they will be with me discussing uh, helmets and uh, costume building and the things to actually go and build the costumes. Uh, so if you are interested in trying to build things from EVA foam or other materials uh, related to steampunk, that will be later today, which again is included in the pamphlet. So I hope you guys have a great day at the con. Thank you for joining us for this first panel. Hopefully we kept you entertained. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.